So Mike Johnson is settling in on his first week as the Speaker of the House, and it seems to be already kind of blowing up on him. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but the thing about him, though, is that he's so inexperienced. And like, I, I, I realized, and I think that there was a parallel, that he's basically sort of, he's pulling a, a Kavanaugh slash uh, Gorsuch type or Amy Coney Barrett strategy that a person who has no real record but has, you know, the religious right bona fides, that's all you need. And so they'll just dump you anywhere once you have that. Like, that's your only Or even a, a bigger throwback, Kalen. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's another one. And anyway, and so like now that he's gotten into the speaker's office, his inexperience with how to do shit as a leader in Congress, because he really had no leadership experience. Mm -hmm. And now he, his very first signature bill is going to get squashed, it looks like. So the Biden administration had wanted to put bundle aid to Ukraine and aid to Israel and then a couple of other things into one bill. And Mike Johnson, because Republicans have decided that they hate Ukraine now because Donald Trump tells them to, they they unbundled it. And like I feel like that probably could have gone through like just a straight Israel aid bill like that probably would have gone through. People would have passed that. Pretty easily because, I mean, it's complicated, that situation. That's another thing. But giving money to them is not controversial in Congress and in both parties. And so he could have done that. But instead, he decided to bundle it. To, he would pay for it with cuts to the IRS uh, and that he would save money for America by doing this. And, like, it's the most boneheaded stupid move he could have done because they because yeah when you take money away from the IRS you are increasing the deficit that's just simply how it works it's like right. any and and like republicans love to claim yeah well and they love to claim that they want a government to run like a business well any large business that spends money on billing like cuts their billing department <laughs> you're going to get less money if you cut your billing department or you cut your accounting department, because those departments are about wringing money out of your customers or saving on taxes. Like that's just basic business. And the Congressional Budget Office, they came out and, well, said basically that very thing. Again, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I saw that they, I mean, that the part of it that I was sort of focused on after learning about this bill was that the CBO basically said that if you're cutting this kind of money from the IRS, that you are encouraging tax cheating in addition to increasing the budget. And so 
who gets to cheat on their taxes already? Rich people. So it's just aiding and abetting in that. And then there are all these ways in which, I mean, I think, I think a thing that people complain every year when tax season rolls around, everyone complains about the amount that they have. Because look, the IRS could just send you a fucking bill like they do in European countries for what you owe them because they know what you owe them. And you could just pay your taxes and send it back. We obviously don't have a system like that here because we have lots of lobbyists who make it very complicated and ensure that you have to use things like TurboTax. And one of the things they were going to do is then create this new sort of IRS-backed free way of filing your taxes. It would get rid of that. There's a lot of sort of tax enforcement that it would eliminate. This feels like, I mean, I actually wonder if they really thought that this was, or if Johnson even really thought this is something that was going to get greenlit, or if it was just a way of signaling to GOP donors that they're always thinking of, you're always on our mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, we have a special relationship and we can't quit you. Yeah. Well, that's, that is a, an interesting thought and definitely highly possible. I mean, it is really uncanny though, like how, the Republicans, they have absolutely prioritized keeping money from the IRS being to be spent on enforcement, especially. And yeah. because like regular people, average person, their income taxes are not that complicated because they just don't have that many assets. Right. And mm -hmm. whereas, I mean, then Donald Trump actually is a perfect case in point that the Senate tax committee, I, I think it was them, that they had had done some hearings and investigations about the IRS audits of Donald Trump. And what they found is that his taxes were so complicated that they didn't even bother examining them for several years because they were right. like thousands of pages. And they were like, well, okay, I guess he, I guess he must've paid it because I don't have time to look at this shit. And that's basically what Republicans are trying to enable here is billionaire tax cheating. That's what this bill is. It is a w oligarch welfare bill. And But do, can Democrats push that message? Do they see that opportunity? I, I'm going to say whatever the message is, no, because it's <laughs> Democrats. So we can just know right from, from jump that they're <laughs> going to be ineffective at, at sending the message out. It's what they do. They fumble messaging. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, they, get, they are given so many gifts that are wrapped in basically like gold lame paper by <laughs> the Republicans and consistently mm -hmm. fail to get the message out. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I, I think you're unfortunately right about that. And you do see people making these points effectively in media and some members of Congress will make them. But yeah, the ability of Democrats to drive a point that's advantageous to them is just abysmal. And I think and it, and it flows from the fact that they think that people are reading Paul Krugman right. yeah, re religiously. Okay. And it's like, yeah, yeah, Paul Krugman is great about stuff like this. But you know what? Most people have no idea who Paul Krugman is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Paul. And yeah. And so, I mean, but but it, it also does show, though, that like all these things that they claim to value, that Republicans claim to value, they don't actually value like, them. Like fiscal responsibility. Yeah. So, well, fiscal responsibility or hell, I mean, even helping Israel. Like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like they're literally 
making it contingent on something that the Democrats think is awful and that many of their other party members think would be damaging to them. Because, I mean, hell, if you have an effective opponent in the general election, they will push this on you and you're going to get nailed for it. And so some of these more vulnerable Republicans are like, fuck that. I'm not going to vote for that. And but it's also but I think I mean, ultimately, it's basically him trying to say, well, this is a bill that people is super popular. So I'm going to bundle it with something that is that is loathsome also. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to have to vote for it. Otherwise, we're going to say you don't support Israel. That's I think is what the mentality is. But it doesn't I don't think it's going to work this time, even though the Democrats are not going to be very effective at telling what this loathsome part of the bill is to the public. Yeah, at least. I mean, the other thing about Johnson that has been fascinating for me in the short time that he's been in office is I feel like there are multiple sort of weird mini. I mean, people didn't know a lot about him. Right. So the instant that you get some people start to be interested in what's this part, where this person comes come from, what's his story. And one of the weirdest parts of his story mm -hmm. is that mm -hmm. kind of amateur sleuths, not so much, I don't think, major outlets, like they've sort of covered this and been sort of interested in mm -hmm. some parts of it that seem opaque. But the fact that he, in 2019, mentioned for the first time that he had adopted a 14-year-old Black child 22 years prior, but this kid is absent from all of his, and this is who he now says is a 40 year old living in California who has a family of his own and is named Michael. But that this child, this black child that he adopted, he only mentioned him for the first time in 2019. There's kind of no other history of him mentioning him. He wasn't officially adopted, is what we've now found out. Although in interviews, he has previously, I don't think, I, I couldn't find anything where he had explicitly said he had adopted the kid, but he certainly said, that we, that he had taken the kid in or just things that, you know, with, without the sort of, without the reasons for him coming to prominence and us wanting to know more about his background, that people didn't question the circumstances. But now that people are digging into it, real, realizing he, he was, his, one of his campaign officials was officially asked, like, so what, what's the deal there? When did, when was he adopted? And it turns out he wasn't actually officially adopted. Mm -hmm. The excuse yeah. being that there was too much. I mean, the excuse being that there was too much paperwork, which is, I'm sorry, that's just a, a, a weird answer. Also, the, I don't even know how you can like, but he also didn't he claim he also had another family besides that, like not his. Children. Right. Uh, I mean, there are a couple of articles that I've seen, one that dates back, it's a local uh, article from Shreveport, he's from Louisiana, a 2008 article where he didn't mention him. There's a Facebook post that someone dug up and I was able to still found it, find it, it's still up, where he, it's from 2019, where he's celebrating his wife on their 20th wedding anniversary. Once again, he mentions yeah. his other kids, not one mention of this kid. I mean, the first time he mentions Michael, this black child who he supposedly adopted in 1997, when, by the way, because the dates on this keep shifting. Initially, he said 1997. Yeah. Now he said it was the first when he was a newlywed, which would have been in 1999. So he, just depending on which 
which source you're using. I mean, the source always being actually Mike Johnson, but which which speech you're citing. He would have been either in law school and unmarried, so a single man who's in his mid-20s adopting a teenager, or he would have been a newlywed who somehow met this kid through a religious organization that he was with and then didn't file the proper paperwork. But there's, again, he only mentions him at, at, at moments when it seems politically expedient for him to do that. And that first yeah. time was when there was the debate over reparations. And I just want to, because I've written at length about this, it was not an actual conversation about giving black folks reparations. It was about having a committee to look into the idea of the idea of the idea of reparations. <laughs> I mean, it was so far from actually well, what going was out position? anything that they could. Well, his position was no, but he cited his son specifically as his as the reason why he said that his son was pretty adamantly opposed to it, this black son that he has. So he's a figure that he brings up whenever the the issue of black civil rights comes up because he has mm. this like firsthand black challenger in his family who doesn't think that there should be any sort of recompense for past mm. black well, anti-black policymaking. Well, it's so easy. Like we can solve the discrimination and poverty against black people by just having them get adopted by white people. Right. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean. I just find this aspect of his story so odd because mm -hmm. where has this kid been? Why is that the first mention of him? It's 20 some odd years after the adoption happened. Was he yeah. or was he not single when he adopted the kid? Why was there no formal adoption process? Why did it happen mm -hmm. through this weird evangelical group that does not serve as... Does, their work is not to do anything involving yeah. adoptions yeah. or it's not no, a child no, welfare organization. Um, so, well, and, and it's like, well, and, and all this, and why is this kid, why is this kid, this kid who Johnson's excuse recently when he's asked, why is he not, why does he not appear in any pictures? Why have we not seen him at all? Is he shies away from the public eye? And that's the thing that I've always respected. And he has his own family now, but you know, I, I think it'd be great. And I'm sure at some point, some investigative reporter will get on this, but is, why does he shy away from the, the public eye? Is it that he doesn't want to be connected with, is it just that he doesn't want to be in the limelight? Is it something about that relationship and the discomfort that yeah. he feels with the really, I mean, the, well, I think it's ironic yeah. that he compared on his own podcast, he compared the situation to something like the blindside situation. And we know how that turned out horribly, <laughs> right? The same. Well, that's of, what I was going to say. Yeah. Like, it it does give. Up that's not that that comparison is not doing what I think you think what you think it's doing, Mike Johnson. Yeah, and it also reminds me of Matt Gates, also. Yeah, Nestor. Who, that's right. His his allegedly adopted son, and who he had allegedly adopted before getting married, but is also not his adoptive son, and is also an adult. And none of this makes sense. And it's just, and, it is. And who Matt Gates also used as, waved as a sort of mascot when he, when there were discussions about race. Mm. Oh. I have a child of color, this Cuban kid that he said he had adopted, which, yeah, just circumstances also very, very suspect, very sus. And the reason people are left having to ask questions like this and just try to figure out what the hell is going on is that they don't. None of these people really say anything forthright, the the allegedly adopted parents. 
and like pe people are entitled to privacy about their family. Um, sure. And but it's like at the same time, people want to know what are you about, and <clears throat> and you and shouldn't just, you shouldn't be offended at that. And um, and there is also something. I mean, when I hear about and white evangelical Christian family taking mm -hmm. in a black child that they didn't even officially adopt who had his own family and who Johnson is only alluded to as kind of, he hasn't ever spoken directly about the family. He just said he grew up under, and I'm paraphrasing here, kind of unstable. There was a lot of instability in his home, but like, we don't know anything about that kid's family. Yeah. Did they give their consent for him to be part of the Johnson's household? I mean, there's just a lot of, it's the same thing I think about when I hear about Amy Coney Barrett raising mm -hmm. black children. And I wonder what kind of things are being imparted to them, especially because of these people are very engaged with a lot of anti-black policymaking. So, you know, even yeah. if everything is completely on the up and up, up and up. obviously we yeah. will find out more and more. It just sort of part of me that just kind of feels for these yeah. kids in terms of what they the experience in those households might look like. Yeah, no, and and I think that that is something that white Republicans have trouble grasping. They really do. Yeah, but just continuing down the rabbit hole that is Mike Johnson is mm -hmm. a weirdo, and I wasn't even aware that this existed or that there is an, an entire kind of genre of apps. I guess I was aware that there it's are these industry. Like, the genre of apps, <laughs> but there, yeah, there's an industry that produces these, you know, sort of sensors. But specifically, I think the thing that Christians have seized on are these, they're called shameware apps. And they help you when you, I guess, are um, a slave to your ungodly sexual mm -hmm. urges. They help you stay away from those sites. And one of them is called Covenant Eyes. It's a, a software that apparently Josh Duggar, who, as I, maybe our listeners already know, is mm -hmm. currently in jail That for a number of, I mean, there's a number of things, but I think he's in, in jail specifically for possessing child porn. Yep. Covenant Eyes was, they later found that on his computer, but he'd found a workaround. But it, <laughs> it basically keeps, it basically keeps people from using, from, from looking at porn, right? Well, yeah, it's like it's setting them up with an accountability partner because right. like looking at porn is just like doing drugs, just as dangerous. Right. You need a you need a sponsor. <laughs> it turns out that he talked about this at there was some sort of Christian conference on on tech and he highlighted it as something that they have been using in his household and he suggests to people in the audience that it's something that they might want to do with their sons, especially if they're teenage boys and it sends a report if you do i mean basically it, it it's kind of tabulates compiles what you've looked at during a certain period of time and then to your sponsor slash accountability partner it sends a report of what you've been watching and it highlights anything that you know might be an, an issue right might be worrisome and it turns out that not only does his family use this because i guess they without it they would he and his his son. Well, his son is his accountability partner, right? That's the most worrisome and sort of weird yeah, who, part of this story. Who in the video was 17 years old. Right. Um, now 18. But is, can you imagine every week getting reports about whether or not your parent was like 
looking at porn sites and potentially like, you know, you can just, I mean, look, we're all adults. No, wait, and, no and like, like it would let him know what his, his father was into, basically. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that is so deeply fucked up. And like, and, and this is why these people cannot be trusted with governing the American body politic because their, their entire epistemology is broken. And, and, and they don't like it when I say that. And like people do sometimes complain to me on Twitter about you're, you're too mean to them. And it's like, guys, you literally are doing shit like this. You're, you're telling your child what porn you're into while also saying you're against porn. Like, <laughs> but also so the need for, I mean, it just, it speaks volumes to the, the need to have this kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's normal and natural for people to want to look at sexual things and blah, but mm-hmm. like the idea that like without this, without having someone constantly looking over mm-hmm. my shoulder and double, check, double checking my notes, I just, mm-hmm. I'd be, he's essentially implying that he would be furiously masturbating in front of his, his computer <laughs> and probably not even showing up to Congress to do his job <laughs> if this app wasn't sending notes every week Tracking to ensure him, that there's yeah. someone double, yeah, double checking to make sure yeah. that he's not looking at the at the naughty stuff. Yeah, well, no, which it, is it, insane it, to me. It is it's insane. It is to insane. Me. Yeah, because every all of this is about control. It is mind control. Like this is brainwashing yourself and telling yourself that something normal, like that people have been doing, like people have been making porn. For thousands forever yeah um and like and people have proven that like some of the earliest cave drawings are people having sex and like there's all kinds of artifacts of dildos and butt plugs <laughs> all sorts of things out there that the ancient humans were into and good for them right but you know like they don't american christian fundamentalists have basically sort of they kind of decided to reinvent the wheel all over again every single time and like everything that came before them is not real everything that came after them is not real only the things that they've cooked up in their brains are real and true like that's the other the other fundamentally fucked up thing about mike johnson is that for a long time he was hosting a podcast with his wife and they called it truth be told and meanwhile they're talking about how evolution is not real and that noah's ark was real and just uh, they're everything that they fundamentally believe that's important about the world is wrong. And like, I think a lot of, there's a, a lot of people who are not religious. It's hard to distinguish between abnormal religion and healthy religion. I mean, like I'm not religious now, but if you people who are not religious, you need to realize there is a difference. This stuff is, it's absolutely insane. It is insane. And people need to know that this is who is in charge of the Republican Party, a guy who wants his son to know about his porn. Right. And I, I, I mean, I do. But there, I do think just in the bigger picture, this is kind of a constant theme with these folks, right? It speaks volumes to their own uncontrolled desires lurking there. I mean, I think that there, it's not, it's not a coincidence that we find out that some of the biggest hardliners against sort of any kind of sexual expression or discussion turn out to be people who are often engaged in some of the darkest mm-hmm. shit ever that, that they might not have been into if they had just allowed themselves to peek every now and again. I mean, it's, 
it's mm-hmm. it's a super it's a super dark dark world to me and just yeah. this kind of thing is just a reminder of that yeah no and actually that is a really good point because like if you think that let's say looking at porn once or twice a month is an addiction a horrible yeah. addiction and a great moral evil that basically you've set the bar impossibly low so that literally anything else that's sexual is this on the same level so yeah if you know like dennis hastert dennis hastert was charged and convicted of sexual abuse of children like under that rubric it's not any worse than looking at porn on the internet molesting children is on the same level because it's equally wrong and so it does it does when you or Duggar, josh Duggar. yeah josh Duggar, another example of that yeah like if being married to someone of the same sex is this horrible world ending wrong well hey touching your sister who's seven like hey that's just as wrong man whatever i'm going to be wrong if i want to be like that's basically the mentality that they have developed and it is like that is why some of these churches uh, that are fundamentalists have had these problems of people and like Southern Baptists, Catholics, Mormons, you go down the line, like it's not the churches that have a healthy and welcoming view of human sexuality that are, that are having these scandals. They're not. And like, if you're equating homosexuality with child molestation, which Mike Johnson and other people do, then you're going to, then you're going to tolerate somebody who is a child molester because you think that that's equally problematic as somebody who downloads a playboy and it's yeah it's like this that's the really perverse thing about it all is that they all talk about how they're against moral relativism they love that term they how they're against it and we believe in moral absolutes but in point of fact everything they do is moral relativism everything Uh because when you believe that truth comes from god that god is the only source of truth or right and the, but the problem is, of course, there's no statement out there. God's not taking out billboards and saying, hey, this is what I want, guys. You have to do right, this. Right, right. <laughs> and so humans are the ones that determine what God says. So therefore, anything that you, some human you like is what God says. And so therefore, there are no moral standards in this framework. It is actually the worst form of moral relativism, and they can't even see it. They yeah, can't even and see I, it. And I think that they are... I mean, I, and I know I, I kind of keep going back to this, but I just think when you live these incres- incredibly repressive lifestyles, which really just everything we know about human nature is completely out of line with that. I think that you really, you kind of push people towards darker places because they have no example or experience with what it's like to have what are essentially kind of healthy sexual behaviors, right? Or yeah. it's healthy outlets and, and yeah. what is actually quite normal. And I think when you lock yourself, when you make these things so horrible and they have to be so hidden and, and you take this punitive approach toward what is a very mm-hmm. normal human feeling, I think that you inevitably you kind of push those desires into very weird directions. And 
putting a lid on that and forcing everyone to push it way, way down inside and to feel terrible mm -hmm. about it and to hide it and to do whatever they can to not speak of it and to have other people look over their notes. What I mean, none of that. I mean, yeah, it, it encourages mm -hmm. a lot of weird ass shit. Yeah, it does. Like when it's everyone... going to come out somewhere, it is going to come out somewhere. Yeah. When everything has to live in the closet. Yes. Then eventually you're going to run into things that should be in the closet. <laughs> like child <laughs> right. molestation, like rape, like whatever it is, criminal exploitation. or There's a, a variety of, of horrible, awful things that we don't need those. <laughs> and when we couple that with the way that society. he and his wife have seen, he and his wife have spent, um, it seems their entire careers just working in and obsessing over Mm -hmm. gay people and LGBTQ, the LGBTQ mm -hmm. community and gay marriage and just non-heteronormative sexualities and mm -hmm. lives. Locking like it up. that adds another, that's an, that's a whole, that adds a whole other dimension to it. And it really makes you wonder what, what's happening there. And I think mm -hmm. that must be a really incredibly miserable way to live. Yeah. But just going back to the the porn thing with Mike Johnson, as we said, there's some aspects of porn that are not good. And sure. there was a high school in New Jersey that had recently experienced that, where some sophomores there had used AI image generators to make pornographic images of their fellow students. Several girls were targeted by that. And these, these fake images of them were sent all over the school. And the girls... I, you can only imagine what they're go going through, but unfortunately, in this... high school, when people are, regardless of kind of what you're doing, either making you feel like you are an absolute cold fish because you're not doing it, what, and no one knows who's really doing it, right? But you're mm -hmm. being a cold fish because you're not doing it, or you're an absolute slut because mm -hmm. you made out at a party and some guy like. I mean, I feel so badly for these girls, but anyway, mm -hmm. do continue. Yeah, well, it, and it, I mean, it, and it's bad enough that real images of yeah. students are being circulated. But now you might have students who have never taken an, a, a, a nude image of themselves, and now they're being exploited like that. And the Wall Street Journal had a really good, uh, thorough piece looking at this. And the reality is, though, that um, with generative AI, like stuff like this is going to probably within a year or two be a thing that happens all the time. All the time. In every yeah. high school. And the legal system is going to have to keep up with this stuff. Like, uh, it, even at the federal level right now, it is not illegal to make non-consensual nude images of somebody. And that needs yeah. to be illegal. But luckily, there are some states where, where it is illegal. Um, but it but, is yeah. just, I mean, there is this piece by piece, state by state. I think that the awareness of kind of where AI is and where it's headed is definitely, they need a commission at the federal level to be thinking about this. I feel like they're far more out of touch uh, than people who are, say, just you and I, who are very online people. Like, I, mm -hmm. I don't think they get a, a real sense of kind of what's, what's coming down state? the pike. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, well, the White House actually, this a uh, couple of days ago, did uh, unveil some some new uh, regulations and commissions to, to study this stuff a bit more, which I, is very welcome. But here, the, here it, there is a paradox, though, in all of this that so the dominant 
players like OpenAI or Google Bard, like they actually do have controls built into them. So that if you said, generate me an image of so-and-so having sex with whatever, they won't do it. And so like, that's a good thing. But on the other hand, these companies are gigantic multi-billion dollar behemoths, some of whom are run by, well, people who are seem to be inordinately interested in fascism. Like, so the, the technology of, of generative AI, it, for the sake of humanity, it cannot be allowed to exist only under these people's ownership. And so open source AI is actually very important for the future of democracy. But this is a downside of that. Um, yeah. And that there's the, the old saying, there's no free lunch. AI is probably the number one issue where that is the case. And it's, it's, it's complicated stuff. And like, there is no, there is no solution that's going to solve all the problems, unfortunately. And Well, because but, new ones arise. I mean, it's whack-a-mole, right? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I mean I, but at the same time, like we need we need open source AI to enable people to do things that the the, the mainstream or the, the corporate AI doesn't want to do, which are good. There are plenty yeah. of good things that they don't want, or custom development or programs. So that's why the regulatory system has to has to be able to keep up yeah. with things. So, but yeah, I mean, it's. I just think like, about how long it took for there to be any progress on things like revenge porn, and mm-hmm. I mean. I can only imagine the kind of stuff that's going to be swirling around high schools on that front. It's really awful. I just feel so bad for where we are. I mean, I've thought a million times about how disastrous just the fact that nothing will be verifiable at a certain point. We're going to have to create new ways to check the validity of so many things, right? I mean, but when I think of just the way that people will intentionally misuse this stuff for the worst purposes, it just makes me feel awful, particularly for adolescent and teenage girls, because they will, I think that they more than anyone, they will be the butt of the joke of the meanest fucking jokes ever. And that stuff follows you like really kind of reading that article. Oh, it's all taken down. Like nothing is for everything is forever. Digitally lady. Like that's all I could think reading that fucking wall street journal piece. It sucks. Fucking sucks. Yeah, no, I understand. That's the, that is why I, I do want to talk about this stuff and make sure people know about it. Um, because, I mean, fortunately, people that are a little bit older, they haven't experienced that. Every woman has experienced some version of it, whatever it was from yeah. their time period, and should get it. Like, I, it, it actually pissed me off. And I, I know well, I just I was... saw the piece today, and thank God you shared it with me. But the parents that were in this online group, there were some parents who were on de- in defense of the boys and saying it was just kind of this youthful indiscretion. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, that, that always happens. You know, every woman from every generation should be able to relate to that, whether someone made up a rumor about you or someone mm-hmm. told uh, told everyone about something that you did or, or you know, somebody, just all the ways you know, in which men like to humiliate. Yes, uh, like the ways and and but then turned uh, and but then use it to turn you into like you know the a public shaming right like yeah. you become the fucking you're the slut that should be at, like just the mm-hmm. many ways in which society can like finds ways to humiliate and punish women for fucking existing. Mm-hmm. And you you're so right. You are so right about it, Kelly. And like I said though, you know, like you you managed somehow to protect 
your innocence. And I really love that you can get outraged about that in a really meaningful and deep way. I think a lot of people, they look at bad things and they're just like, well, that was doomed to happen. It was inevitable. Oh, well. But, but that's why um, we do what we do. If I had a nickel for every single time I said, I'm too tired, I can't do this anymore, you know, said some bullshit mm -hmm. like that after like a long day of wading through the, the, mm -hmm. the doom scrolling or wading through the swamp that is the fucking internet, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the kind of the worst parts of it. Even just like researching a story or just, you know, living and breathing this shit constantly, it can feel exhausting and terrible. But if you really believed, that all of it was inevitable and what can you do and you're going to throw up your hands and there are some days where you where you do need to turn it off and maybe take a breather but you do what you do because you're hopeful because you haven't been completely desensitized and you haven't been completely numbed and you're not dead inside yet they haven't managed to yeah. completely crush your soul and you're hoping for mm -hmm. something better and that's why you do what you fucking do we certainly yeah, have like our lowest moments, but we do what we do mm -hmm. because there's there's still something, even though it's been whittled away at and eroded and poked and prodded, and there's some mm -hmm. kind of hope for something better, some bit of leftover idealism that things can get a little better and that you can be a part of nudging them in that direction. Yeah, no, it's true. And that is that is why I wanted to make this podcast with you, because <laughs> I... I, I could sense that that you were that way even before we had talked. Um, just from, you know, going through your Twitter timeline, I was like, this is somebody who, she's really strong, but she's also very tender as well. So. Oh, thank you, honey. I'm I'm glad I was right. <laughs> Me too. I'm so, so glad we're doing this. Yeah. God, I sure hope that other recording work. I feel a little nervous about it. But you know what? We got 45 minutes, so even if it didn't, I can... We can Gosh, though, but there was a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I, I think I saw it in there, so, like, I don't... I'm not too worried about it. Well, um, let me know as soon as we're off, if you see it. I thought I saw it, too, in the, in the seconds between when you the hang-up and the callback, so we'll see. Yeah. Okay. Fingers crossed. Yep, yep, I hope so. All right, well... And jazz hands. And jazz hands. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All righty, well, so we will be back next week for everyone. Aye, aye. <laughs> and I will see you then. Bye. Bye.